Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Crash MotoGP podcast, episode 31 and the last one of our regular season run. We'll be back for uh, for one more for a Christmas special before the new year. Uh, and of course, it is myself, Harry Benjamin, with Pete McLaren and Keith Hewin on the show today. Uh, the circuit to Catalonia has been confirmed on the MotoGP calendar for another five years at least. There's team manager movement with rumours of Pramac's Francesco Guidotti leaving Ducati and KTM confirmed Mike Leitner's exit plus MotoGP gets the drive to survive action and we have a special guest on the show as well but before we introduce him I think it's uh, fair that we should touch on uh, the sad passing of the uh, former Formula One team boss uh, Sir Frank Williams uh, whose squad of course became one of the most successful in Grand Prix racing's history and he passed away uh, recently in, at 79 and, and Keith obviously synonymous name not just in Formula One, but throughout motorsport as well. Yeah, I think that, that any two wheels or four, or any kind of motorsport, as you just said, that the will have followed Frank Williams from day one. I mean, he's an innovator. At the end of the day, the kind of kind of guy that that pushed the boundaries in every which way to make it better. And I mean, would Formula One be the same without Frank Williams? I don't think it would have been, to be honest with you. He was in at the earliest time. I mean. I mean, given the the, the accident, he had a, a, a higher car accident of all things. I think he was with Pete Windsor, one of the well-known uh, Formula One journalists. Um, they had this big off in a Sierra of all things, I think. And um, he obviously did the damage to himself. But I mean, he's long lived considering his injury and still at the helm right up until fairly recently in, in, in his terms. Um, but I mean, for me, he'll always be remembered as innovation. And I think, isn't there a tie-up, Pete, here as well with the, you know, with electric bikes? I know not one of my favourites, but still innovation really is. And Gary Eckerold, I'm sure, worked for Williams and Johnny Eckerold's son, Johnny Eckerold, 1980, 350cc world champ, if I remember, beating the great Tony Mang at places like the Nürburgring back in the day. Um, and again, when we went to Moto E, I remember ringing Gary up for, for a bit of help and information regarding battery life and where we're going and innovations and the like. So it kind of kind of fits in quite well with what we're going to be talking with Luca about a, a little bit later on. I mean, innovation is everything when you're at the cutting edge of sport. Formula One was, Frank Williams was, and MotoGP in some respects has a bit of catching up to do. That's right, Keith. I mean, the, the Williams team, it initially started off as a family-run sort of race team, didn't it? One of these, one of the, uh, must have at the time been a lot of lot of teams like that. But, you know, they, they managed to bridge that gap and bring it into this modern era of Formula One and then expand into all these different areas, as you say, into this 
you know, they have different departments that cover all of this electric vehicle technology. And as you say, they've got, um, you know, Gary Eckerold and people that used to run a World Supersport team, I think, didn't he? And then went to work for Williams and all of this other stuff. And so they just had, you know, an input in so many areas of, of science and engineering. And I think, like you say, it's it's innovation, it's technology that, that everyone in that, that follows motorsport thinks about when they think of Williams and that whole, that figurehead, that person that it'd be very hard to have now, you know, race teams are owned on it. They're almost corporations, aren't they? You know, but but Frank was one of those personalities that came across and we, we see them in the MotoGP paddock as well, where, where you have a someone that everything is centered around and really pulls the team together. So yeah, you know, as you say, a, a you know, a long life lived, but, you know, obviously sad to see him passing. Absolutely. And it's interesting. I don't think I've told you this, but my one connection to motorsport pre getting involved in it, uh, my dad, who is a, a neurosurgeon, um, but when he was in his youngest days, he was tasked with looking after Sir Frank after he had his accident. Um, and he, he told me the other day, you know, the amount of people that turned up to the hospital, you know, Nelson Piquet and and everybody from Formula One who just wanted to, to make sure that he was OK and, and visit him. And, and you could just see at that time and and now even more so what what a legacy he's left and and what a what a life lift uh, for Sir Frank Williams but uh, he has sadly passed away at the age of 79 so everybody on the podcast and everyone from crash.net uh, sends uh, their uh, condolences to uh, the Williams family for Sir Frank Williams um now carrying on with the rest of the show and talking more about motorsport, which we all love to do. Everybody involved does it. And we do have a special guest on the show today. We're really bringing them to you in the off season. Uh, We are delighted uh, to be joined by Luca De Angelis, who is the deputy manager of EM Motorsports. Now, Luca, very warm welcome. Thank you for uh, taking the time out to join us uh, today. I suppose, first of all, we should ask, just tell us a bit about you and EM Motorsport itself and what exactly is you do because I suppose you're not always you know front facing right by the camera so a lot of people who might be regular fans watching it on the tv might not know exactly what you do but you do have quite an integral role throughout motorsport well first of all thank you very much for inviting me I'm really honored to be part of your show uh, I am uh, Luca De Angelis deputy manager of uh, EM Motorsport um, yes you're right I mean EM Motorsport has been involved with um, Formula One and motorsport in general since 2005 now. Um, we have been uh, developing different safety uh, products uh, throughout these years. And uh, one of them is most probably the most important is the marshalling system. Uh, marshalling system is, as the word says, is a system which is composed by different components. And, and some of them are flag digital flag panels as you see now uh, in formula one and MotoGP and other championship um, car positioning very high precise uh, car positioning system uh, telemetry information um, dedicated to safety information and not um, team telemetry so not car performance everything is uh, based on safety um, for example um, communication between race control and drivers regarding flags uh, or messages um, that are not actually part of the performance uh, of the of the cars or vehicles in general. Um, yeah, Motorsport has evolved its products uh, since 2005, and 
we have integrated the, the marshaling system in 2006 in Formula One for the first time. And together, uh, we collaborated with uh, Charlie Whiting and the FIA for a few years, uh, trying to design uh, the best solution um, for this championship. And um, we have implemented for the first time this uh, uh, car positioning system in Formula One. And after that, um, you know, speaking with uh, with Charlie and knowing and understanding the capability of the system, came out the idea of why not showing to the drivers not only the flag on the dash, but also a flag panel or something that it, it's a lot more visible to the drivers than the just standard waving flags. And this is in 2009, we implemented for the first time in history, motorsport history, the um, digital flag panels in Formula One. Um, of course, it took some, uh, some developments, uh, some investments, and uh, we have now reached uh, a very important uh, results that has been recognized by the FIA and the FIM. And um, it, the flag panels are now becoming part of the safety uh, measurements in championship and circuits as well. The only question I've got to ask straight away, Luca, is how come it took so long for MotoGP to adopt it? Because it's a brilliant system. I mean, when you if you go back, <laughs> I hate to say this, but if you go back to my day, the flags were about this big and they were waved in a corner about 300 yards away and you'd be lucky if you saw them. Um, so from a rider point of view, from a rider perspective, it couldn't come too soon, this kind of system. I just wonder why it probably took so long to integrate it into the MotoGP system. Well, I have to admit that uh, in Formula One, it's quite uh, a long time that we have this system. But in motorsport in general, um, it, it's just the last couple of years that is growing this technology. This, the demand of this uh, solution is, uh, is, is increasing. And I believe MotoGP, as well as other motorsport championship or facilities, have starting now to understand the um, the advantages of uh, of this uh, of this system which is not only for the riders or for the drivers but it's also for for the safety of the marshals that are standing around the track and as you said they are waving a small flag but they have to extend their arms on the track to make themselves a lot more visible and depending on the condition like rain fog, night, um, I mean, we have different kind of motorsports and uh, in different time of the day. And it, it's, it's all a matter of safe safety for, uh, for the marshal. And being behind the debris fences or even far away from, from the track, but still being able to communicate with the race control and to the driver in a very fast um like fast, fast manner, it's 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 all about safety basically. Did you have to redesign the whole race control situation, or was it a, a plug and play situation? Did it fit in with the, the the electronics, the 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 control systems that they already have in race control? Was it fairly easy to integrate it into the system that was already there, or did you have to redesign the the whole thing around your system? Well, that's uh, it's an interesting question. Basically, the the system as as it was born, it was really at its uh, young stage. 
So at the moment we added the flag panels, it was kind of easy then to in integrate it with, uh, with what was already there. And um, now it's 10 years of uh, developments. We never stopped developing. Uh, it's always uh, adding new feature or improving technology and uh, making it more reliable and quicker, of course. And um, so everything was integrated together since the beginning. And we provide the solution of uh, integration already for all circuits and championship now. We talk quite a lot about these new systems that, are, that are, everybody's a supporter, by the way, of you and, and what you're doing. I mean, everybody in the paddock that I know, the, the, the panels are you know, so much better than flags generally, particularly where you can position them. And you're right, with the marshals out, out of sight. But with the, the, the accidents we've had, particularly this year, I mean, you know, there's been many over years, but particularly this year have been accidents. And I know Pete has been banging the drum about rider information being a little bit more instantaneous and, and, and getting control of rider information. You know, I followed that up with Pete's, um, which I have to say I was a little bit dismissive of originally, but um, um, Pete's very good argument is, and yourself on the, on the show here is going to knock me out, I suspect, and uh, I'm going to have to keep my mouth shut for the rest of this, uh, this, uh, this year. But I, I was thinking that maybe, you know, is there a situation where, you know, riders don't always have time to look down at a dashboard. You can have a dashboard indication. You can have a dashboard message. Sometimes you're so busy and the, the you know, the, the amount of turbulence around you and some tracks is nowhere where you can take your eyes off where you're headed for. So looking at your pit board and looking for flags and signals externally, kind of it's got to be in your eye line or you don't actually see it. It's really, really tricky. And I wonder whether there was a system in the helmet, like a light system, like a heads up display type thing that can be integrated into your system to perhaps improve still further the, the early warning system for, for a rider perhaps. So the first characteristic that Charlie Whiting uh, asked us, or let's say the first goal was you have to distract the driver, or in this case, the rider. That was the main, the main goal. And because, as you know, like when you're driving a fast car or, or a bike, you're focused on, on the roads, on the apex, or um, you're not really paying attention of the marshal waving flags or things like that. So the main goal was to distract the riders of the drivers. And this was goal was reached by using high brightness or flashing rates, uh, different color saturation. So everything, all these elements came together to create this distraction. In motorsport, in terms of like cars integration, it's, it's quite easier um, to integrate uh, this system on the, on the steering wheel or on the dash. Uh, because in any case, the, the driver is somehow always keeping an eye on car speed or engine rev. Um, so it's easy, it's easier to implement some LEDs on the steering wheel as they do in Formula One, Formula Two or other Formula Three or other championship to flash these LEDs, uh, in conjunction with the flag panels. Um, it's a bit, a little bit more tricky on uh, MotoGP because uh, the rider is not always looking at the dash. So, as you said, yes, integrating something in the helmet, uh, it would be probably ideal. Uh, we need to take in consideration that there are lots of components in integrating parts in an helmet. First of all, because helmet is a safety device. 
So it has to go through homologation process. And anything that you add to the helmet must go through different tests. Um, just an example, if I want to add a single LED in the helmet, I may need to think about putting a battery to light up an LED. And keeping a battery next to the brain of a driver uh, can cause possible battery explosion, fire, which is not something that you want in, uh, in, in this case. So there are some technology that are coming out uh, that can be taken in consideration, uh, but there are many things that uh, uh, needs to be addressed and uh, uh, engine, like, like developed. Developed, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, developed, but also um, really understand how to integrate this sort of uh, solution into this particular uh, um, solution. For example, in Formula One and IndyCar, uh, we provide what we call the EPA, which is an earplug accelerometer. It's a, an accelerometer sensor that is inside the driver ear canal. And that gives us information about uh, the in case of an accident, the deceleration of the driver head. And this is quite important for post-crash uh, analysis um, to understand what kind of uh, acceleration the driver brain has had to go through and uh, to, let's say, uh, improve performance of a helmet, of a harness, of uh, all the, the safety devices. Um, also, in this case, the driver, when he's inside the car, he still has the possibility to connect by wire uh, to the actual car. On a bike, it's a little bit different. On a bike, usually the rider is is, has no connection with the, with the bike. Um, so all these this, uh, things that needs to be um, developed. I didn't realize that you were... Um into the decelerometer or whatever it might be in the earpiece that's i mean it has to be a it's a pet hate of mine in motor gp i think that we as a the sport are behind the game when it comes to concussion head injury and understanding the rate of, of retardation that that the helmet and the head inside it goes through so i'm so you already have this kind of technology that's always already available again i wonder why I wonder why we're not already using that. Is it because it can't be hardwired? Is that is that the problem? It needs to be hardwired, something like that, in in ear. I mean, I believe that uh, is not the hardwiring is not the actual issue itself because uh, also in in, uh, in motorsport, like in cars, like in Formula One, they use it's hardwired, but there is like a, a standard. I call it standard jack connector, but you know the audio plugs that if you pull the cable just come loose so in case of uh, the rider falling from the bike the, the, that cable just will come loose so i don't see that as a big problem so uh, this could be an actual solution that can be used um, i believe there is also some um, regulation in the bikes uh, in the in the moto gp or uh, super bikes where the driver, as for example, doesn't have any radio communication with the team. Um, so probably things may change in the future. 
um, allowing this technology to implement in the, in the bikes as well. And of course, we will love to um, integrate our solution also for, for bikes because we see that in the car environments, there are many information that are coming through because uh, not only acceleration, but uh, gyroscope, temperature sensor, all this information are uh, interesting for various, various reasons. Temperature, for example, is not to understand if the driver is fever or not. But if you think about closed cockpit cars, where in a summer day, the temperature inside the cockpit can, can, can get very high. So to understand if the driver is actually uh, getting some air cooling and uh, or I don't know, you know, sometimes the drivers want to suffer a little bit more, but uh, avoiding having holes for uh, for cooling down the system can create some aerodynamic issues. So they would prefer to have uh, to close these holes. So all this information can be quite important uh, for the for the driver safety for the driver safety as well. Mm-hmm. It's really fascinating, actually, hearing all that. I think there will be a lot of people who are watching this probably a little bit angry that MotoGP hasn't introduced these kind of things sooner because we have a lot of discussion this year, Keith being one of them, but, you know, it was the concussion debate as well. We've had that time and time again, you know, and we know they have certain protocols and the scat method, but you still see riders somehow passing that and and then they clearly probably shouldn't have passed it or somehow have got through it. But then you think if you've got this indicator in your ear, like you have in Formula One and IndyCar, that should give a a pretty clear cut definition. So it's clear that you're obviously, you've you've got the technology and you're capable of doing a lot of things. What, What would you like to see implemented going forward in particular into MotoGP? I know you can't reveal a lot of things, but what would you personally like to see uh, implemented and what can you do for, for, from all aspects? Well, I, th- I believe that um, integrated different components and different parts that we can provide, I, I see it's an advantage uh, point for MotoGP, but also for many other championships uh, because we have implemented the flag pilots for the first time. But as we were discussing before, flag pilots is one thing of the system, is one part of the system. But already having the possibility to show um, the same flag, the same information to the driver dash, it's already something else. Um, For example, when I, uh, as a driver, when I enter a sector and I see that the panel is flashing yellow, um, but maybe I am looking somewhere else. Uh, as soon as the, as I approach the panel, also the the bike or the car will start flashing with the same flag as the panel. So I have a second indication of this. And even more, if I have uh, the the ear plug accelerometer in my ear, I can connect this to to the bike or to the car, and I can also get an audio warning. An audio warning that is telling me, look, there is a yellow flag, there is a safety car, yeah, there is whatever message. And it's already a third indication of something is going, is, is happening on the track. And so if I miss the panel, if I miss the dash, I still have the audio indication. And if I miss the three of them, maybe I still have, in any case, marshals waving their flags, the standard flags. So... Um, 
putting all this thing together for sure is helping uh, the, the drivers and the riders understanding what is going on um, ahead uh, of where, what they are approach, approaching. Uh, the world of, of uh, bikes, um, let's say we are entering in this world because we always always been working with cars in motorsport, but now we are also approaching the, the bikes, not only uh, MotoGP. And is something we are learning as well. It's, uh, it's I, I must say, it's a completely different world than, than cars. What is uh, better for a driver in, the, in your project over the last 15 years i mean is it a visual or is it an audio thing what gets the best reaction gets the best result from a from somebody that's racing with that intensity you know is, is it is it the visual or is it a, a audio or is it just a combination of both is is are our ear senses better than our eye senses which is which is the best way of giving an indication to a driver or a rider well i would say that uh when riding a bike or driving a car uh, we uh, tend to use our eyes uh, for mostly everything. I mean, um, the ears probably I would listen to the to to the engine uh, revving up or down, but it, I'm not using my ears uh, in terms of uh, senses. Uh, my eyes are always focused on what I'm doing, so many drivers don't even blink once um so they use their vision uh, as the main uh, main sensor have there been tests um have there been tests done to to work that combination out have you actually gone that far technically into what is best what I works can, the best combination um i i to be honest i am not sure because in formula one for example uh drivers prefer different solutions mm. i mean uh, all of all the drivers uh, must have a, a visual wo- warning on the on the dash, uh, but it's up to the teams or to the driver to have audio warning as well. I know for sure that in Formula Two they do have audio warnings as well um, for virtual safety car. Uh, they get a beep in uh, in their uh, their radio in their ears, um, and uh, I. It's it's uh, it's an I mean in my ten years of experience of the system I really can say um, drivers are becoming also used to this technology and they are expecting it or or let's say sorry I use the wrong word they they notice conditions a different condition on the track uh, then respecting it it's a different thing. Uh, but indications are there, and uh, I have never heard anyone saying I haven't seen the flag, um, if the flag was there, or I didn't hear, or I didn't see. Um, so this known feedback for me is very important. Luca, just just rewinding a bit, you've explained very well the ways of communicating with the riders, but how about actually detecting when the accident occurs? Do you, do you still rely on a human to spot an accident, to press a button, or do you think there'll be ways in the future of, we've seen with the airbag or with some sort of sensors, to make that decision quicker so that you can light up the panels quicker, you can alert the riders and drivers quicker? What are these sort of options there? Human presence is still uh, um, 
I, I mean, uh, let's say replacing humans with artificial intelligence, I think it's, uh, it's a big step. Uh, the human brain is still capable of understanding the gravity of the situation or um, can even anticipate. Um, I remember a couple of years ago in uh, Hungary, um, I think it was Peretz uh, sliding the last corner uh, during free practice or qualify, and the, uh, he was sliding towards the barrier and even before crashing into the bar, the marshal already pressed the yellow button. And you could see from the onboard camera that when he hit the barrier, the panel after was already flashing green. This means that the marshal already, already knew that he was going to crash. Um, in using artificial intelligence is, is definitely uh, possible. We already provide uh, accident information to race control, to medical car um, for intervention. And for example, the famous Grosjean accident in Bahrain um, last year, the moment he crashed with the car, the uh, accident information was received both in race control and to the medical car, which was approaching behind. Um, so everything done by a human will probably take maybe a, a second or two, but with the uh, artificial intelligence technology, you are talking about 100, 200 milliseconds. Um, so in this case, is really helpful. Uh, but there are some conditions where um, the, the marshals are still more re reliable in terms of uh, deciding when to uh, activate a flag or what kind of flags to activate. Also because there are different rules, basic rules, uh, a car stops outside the, uh, the, the white lines, so uh, borderline, that's a yellow flag. If the car stops in between these two lines, that's a double yellow flag. So with artificial intelligence, you can say, okay, the car is within this, this part of the track or, or outside the track, um, which is still feasible because, in, uh, for example, in Formula 1, we do have... 30 to 40 centimeters accuracy for uh, um, GPS position. Um, but um, if we are in Monte Carlo, for example, and or uh, Sochi or Singapore, where it's kind of difficult to um, identify the, with that precision the position of the car, the marshal is still uh, capable of, of uh, uh, deciding going to double yellow, yellow flag. Also, a driver is coming out from the car, the actual flag should change from yellow flag to double yellow flag. So these are still part of the uh, of Marshall job. So even with all this technology, we believe that the marshals are still very important. Uh, you can have 20 CCTV cameras and you have one person in race control watching all these screens. Uh, but it, I tell you, it's quite easy to miss something that maybe a car going outside from the view of a CCTV camera. If you don't have a marshal lighting up his flag, you probably won't see it half of the time.
it's going to be a, a it's all about that balance isn't it eventually of of ai and and human uh resources isn't it that's going to be trying to find the sweet the sweet spot i suppose at the end of the day of, of implementing both and getting the best out of both and then then you've hit the home run i suppose um but look, Luca, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, to have you onto the show and, and get a, a little insight into about what, what you and EM Motorsport have done and, and what you're doing now with MotoGP. Of course, your first year uh, in bikes and using all that all that technology that you've implemented into Formula One and, and coming into bikes. And uh, I think I can speak for both Keith and, P- Keith and Pete when I say we really want to see this technology implemented um, as soon as possible, I think. And so we, we, we will be watching... Uh, uh, with great intrigue to see how you get on over the winter and, and looking ahead to, to the seasons uh, next next year and beyond. But uh, Luca De Angelis from EM Motorsport, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Thank you very much for the invitation. Good luck, <laughs> Luca, with everything. Honestly, hope you really get on. Thank you. Good luck. Well, yes, thanks to uh, Luca for joining us. And Keith, is a, a really good insight, isn't it, into actually you know how it all works from behind the scenes. But also, it is interesting how... That te- the technology is clearly there, but there's something blocking it from being implemented straight away. Because you think you can, you know, if you want to stick something in a rider's ear, that should be fairly straightforward. I, um, you know, my frustration on this subject, particularly on the concussion head injury thing, because I know that they've had these sensors in IndyCar for some time. Because I used to cover IndyCar. You know, and, and when they hit a barrier in IndyCar, it's like, I think momentarily, split second, they pull something like 200G, something ridiculous out of this, off the scale. Um, and so the having that measurement to see what you your body has gone through is a very, very important thing. And we've, we've, we've missed a trick in MotoGP, Moto2, Moto3. The, the, the premier classes don't have that technology as available as it should be to all. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's not a one-man, one-deal thing. It, it should be across the board. You know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to see – I just feel like we're dragging our feet a bit. You know, it, it, it must come down at the end of the day to funding um, as well. Integrating it, of course – I mean, I'm not party to, to how technically difficult this is. But when you see the innovations that Dorna have managed to come up with for our television viewer – um, they've got to surely be able to come up with something um, just as technically but challenging as 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 that when it comes to rider safety. Um, and I I I felt for some time, you know, obviously I'm in a, an easier position now to be able to voice my opinion, whereas I couldn't do when I was broadcasting with MotoGP previously. But now I can just say whatever I feel like saying. And genuinely, I think that we are behind the game. I've had conversations with high ups in MotoGP, and I've been stunned by the response to it, to be frank, that, that you know, that, that, that they have not got behind these things, that there isn't somebody from the high-up campaigning. I mean, it's a, they're aware. They're, everyone's aware of what's going on. Everyone's aware of what's available. But don't seem to be really putting it very high up the priority list. For me, the the decelerometer or whatever it is, I, I don't even know what the technical word for it is, but an in-ear piece of equipment that measures the rate of retardation when you bang your bonce on the floor, that is a critical piece of information. And it, and it also takes out the, the guesswork from a, from a medic's point of view. I mean, many medics I've spoken to, they can shine a light in your eye. They can do all this. They don't know whether you've been concussed or not been concussed. They can't. There's guesswork, even for a, for a trained doctor, unless you've had a massive bang on the head and you, you know, you, you're dilated and everything's, everything's, every bell's ringing. But the fact is, is that to take that decision away from them, I'm sure the medics would be quite happy 
to to see that particular decision taken away because they must take a massively deep breath when they pass somebody fit, knowing that they've had a clout on the bonds, um, but they haven't been able to diagnose con- concussion at that point. But and if you've got you know a, a, a headline rate at which that's it, you're out of the next week or fourteen days of racing because you've your head's decelerated at this amount. Um, it takes it away. There's no guesswork anymore. It's it's that's it. You're you're done. Um, and I just think that would be a better system. One of the quotes I remember getting was, "What do you want us to test everybody?" Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, head injury is something that, that that people are beginning to to realise how serious it is. And secondary concussions, you don't have to be knocked out. You don't have to be seeing stars to be concussed. It, you could be concussed with a fairly minor. Um, clout to the head if it's at the right angle and at the, the right rate. So, you know, more must be done, I feel, in that department. But it's good to see Luca and his team have got that technology already. And uh, it'd be fantastic if it gets used at, at our premier classes. Absolutely. Well, uh, that just about brings us uh, to the end uh, of uh, the Crash MotoGP podcast for this season. We will be back for a special Christmas show, Christmas jumpers and all. Keith has threatened the antlers as well, so uh, that's going to be definitely one to tune in on. Um, But in the meantime, a great thank you as well to uh, Luca for joining us from EM Motorsport. And thank you, dear listener and watcher, for listening and watching all the way through the year. It's meant the absolute world to have you subscribe to us and leaving your reviews. Please continue to do that. And if there's anything you'd like us to do going into the new year, don't hesitate to uh, send your recommendations below and we'll see what we can do. Uh, But in the meantime, you can keep up up with everything MotoGP related on uh, crash.net. And any questions, still send them in. We'll try and get them answered when and wherever we can on the Crash. Moto GP socials and please don't forget to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you listen to it really helps us uh, with the algorithm and all that kind of thing but for myself Harry Benjamin from Keith Ewan and uh, Pete McLaren we'll see you at Christmas bye-bye here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.